if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm so glad you could join us this day. This is a special day. Well, probably every day is a special day. But this day feels a little, well, more special. And I, I guess the reason is, is that for so long, we've not been able to open up our children's ministries on Sunday. And today... There was a launch. There were folks that gathered together. We have been praying for this day literally for months, and we are so grateful that we're able to, well, help our little ones, encourage our little ones, while maybe some of the bigger ones, <laughs> older ones, um, are up here. You know, if you haven't been around, do you might not have known, but, but we've been in a study in 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, we're coming actually to the climax. And if you were just to read these words today, if you were, this section of Paul's letter can be tough to understand and even misunderstood if when you first read it, you don't understand its context. This is a letter written by a pastor, a church planner, to a community of believers in Corinth where Paul had a really good relationship, or at least he thought he had a good relationship. 
When Paul planted this church, he stayed there about 18 months. And when he left, he left a rather healthy church. But in a short time, the congregation began to splinter. Unresolved conflicts turned into unconfessed sin and chaos. The corrupt had weaseled their way into the leadership roles. The church was being deceived and listening to the wrong voices. And just as God is jealous for us, the Apostle Paul was jealous for that church. Last week, we spent a lot of time looking at God's jealousy, where we found out that jealousy doesn't mean envy here, but jealousy is a passion for someone's best. And God desires for each one of us to be able to walk with Him and to experience Him so that you might be able to experience abundant life. He wants the best for each one of us. He knows what we ought to do and how we ought to do it. Paul was the same way, and he shared that. It's very odd. But he said, church, you folks in Corinth, you're, you're settling. You're, you're not all in. You don't understand this, but you are missing out. Wow. So Paul addresses, faithfully addresses the issues and shares his heart in four letters. We have two of the letters. We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is actually his fourth letter. So that's what we're focusing on. In fact, today we're focusing on his last paragraphs. And I would say in some ways that this is the climax of the letter. This is the crux of all that the apostle is talking about. And I think if you understand it, it will shock you and also encourage you. So let's pray before we get into our study today of 2 Corinthians. Oh, Lord, Father, Holy God, you are a God of compassion and mercy. You are slow to get angry, and you are filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Your ways are perfect, and your actions are just. We take these words like the psalmist writes and. You are our rock. You are our shield. And we take refuge in you. Our hearts are full this morning, Lord, in spite of all the turmoil around us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather, especially because this week our kids are able to join us. We thank you publicly for providing teachers and for helpers. We thank you, Father, for Willie and the ministry directors who have worked and developed protocols so that we might be able to encourage our families and our kids. We pray even now, Father, that you would do a mighty work. We know your spirit is abundantly active, and we pray that not only your spirit works here in our worship center, 
but all over this building and literally all over our world. We thank you, Father, for this gathering place, for the teams of servants who turn knobs and work so faithfully behind the scenes. We thank you for our worship team that we might be able to come before you and have our hearts filled with praise for our God. We continue to pray for our land, its leaders, the justice system, and our first responders. Lord, our news is filled with anger and violence and chaos. Would you draw this people to yourself? You alone give life. You alone give peace. You alone are, are our hope. So we pray. We pray for the church. And even in our neighborhood, we specifically pray for Fox Lake Community and for a house of prayer with, with Pastor Abram and for Northbridge. We know, Lord, there are so many other churches, not only in this county, but in this state and our nation, who well, are praising you today. They're hearing from you today. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage and strengthen and unleash this army. We even pray, Father, for those churches who are choosing to make a stand in some states that have greater restrictions. We think especially of Grace Community Church and Pastor John MacArthur. And we ask you, dear God, that you would give those elders in that group of people grace to understand what to do and, and where to go. Lord, you have given us all breath today. We ask you to help us be salt and light. We ask you, Father, that you would, well encourage our flock. We pray especially for our families, some of them who haven't been back in, well, our fellowship here for months. We thank you that we can stream our services, and we pray again for those, Lord, who are enjoying this ministry. But Lord, I pray especially for Titus and Rachel and Judah Lotz. I know, Lord, even last evening, Rachel got the news that, that Titus has COVID. And we pray, dear God, for that family as they try to figure out how to do life, how to work. We love you, Lord, and we will trust you. We pray, though, even in our bulletin, there are so many ministries that are kicking off. There are so many ministry leaders that are meeting together just trying to figure out, Father, what would you have us do today? How do we care for this flock? How do we reach out to our neighborhood? We ask you for wisdom, God. We, we're, we need you. May your kingdom come, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. We love you and pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. You know, last week, if you were with us, we closed out an intense 
section where Paul was sarcastic. And he defended his authority and his credentials mostly because the gospel was becoming under attack. Leaders were saying false things about Jesus and about the resurrection and about what brings life. And Paul was upset. So verse 30 naturally follows his thoughts and continues to Paul's climax. So if you want to open up your Bibles or your flat screens, it's 2 Corinthians. I'm going to start at verse, or chapter 11, verse 30. If not, you can follow up on the screen behind me. This is what Paul writes. If I must boast, Paul writes, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I'm not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. Paul shocks the church by talking about his weakness rather than his strengths. Now, it doesn't take long to understand that nobody really talks about weaknesses, not in our culture. Normally, one boasts of their strengths. Leaders boast of their influence and articulation and vision and wealth and success. Teams boast of their offense and defense and special teams and preparation. Well, everybody but the Bears. People boast of their intellect and coordination and power and beauty and personality. Kids also boast. Have you noticed? But oftentimes their boasting turns into attacks and focus especially on their friends or classmates, their weaknesses on how they look or their ability or their lack of popularity or, shall we even say, their brains. We know that the false teachers in Corinth were full of themselves. They kept applauding themselves. They kept talking about their credentials and how wise they are and how smart they were and how everyone in Corinth should really listen to them. So the apostles' words had to shock the church. He says, I'm going a whole different direction. I'm not going to talk about all the stuff that most people will. I'm going to talk on how much I need Jesus. If we understand this message, it changes perspective in ministry. But let me just pause for a moment again. Let me remind you what Paul is saying. He's not just saying he's casually just talking about some weaknesses which help him depend on Jesus. He is saying, I will boast about them. I want everybody to know how weak I am. (laughs) Paul is saying, I am not strong enough. 
Paul is saying, I am not smart enough or wise enough. I am not skilled enough. I am not rich enough. I am not experienced enough. Paul is saying he's got some tools. But unless God's involved, it's not going to work. It's sometimes like building some furniture. Well, the truth is, most of us are not master cabinet makers. But if we have the right tools and we have the right tutor and we have the right person that's looking over us and making sure, again, everything is set well, all of a sudden there's a piece of furniture that pops up and, and people are amazed. They come into your house and, and whoa, that's so nice. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, I just want you to know. <laughs> wasn't me. It was YouTube. It walked me right through every single step. Now, we could take the glory for it, but realistically, it wasn't us. It was this master carpenter. So if anything good happens, Paul says... People know it's not me, it's God working in me. It's God that showed me, it's God that gave me the wisdom, it's God that told me what to glue, what to connect, what to sand. It was God. Now Paul is so counterculture in his thinking because he keeps pointing to Jesus when most folks keep pointing to themselves. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll start at verse 1. And Paul writes, he said, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. God only knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise. And I heard things so astounding that they cannot even be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience, Paul says, is worth boasting about. But I am not going to do it. I'm only going to boast about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they see in my life or hear my message. Paul does regress a little bit here. He, he shares an experience, and the experience is worth boasting about. No one really knows about it. But apparently God gave him some special revelation, something that he could not even verbally describe. Paul talks about a private revelation, an ultimate, what I would say, God moment. Now everyone did know about Paul's power and his privilege and his education. I'm sure it came up when he spent time with them. Paul himself shares in Philippians chapter 3 that he had the best lineage. 
He had the best teacher. His position was unbelievably advanced. And he practiced obeying the law like few others did. Paul had a life worthy of accolades, but his accomplish, his accomplishments were not going to be his focus. They, they weren't. Now, let me say this, is that many of us have experienced God's grace over the years. The tendency is to use these God-glorifying experiences to focus on ourselves, to applaud how great a faith we have or how obedient we are or how much fruit that we have produced or our wisdom or how great our leadership was. The truth is, and what Paul is trying to help us understand, is that all is about God. It's not about you or me. We literally are given so we can give God glory and praise and honor. We are graced so that God or that people would focus on God's power, not the jars of clay. Remember earlier in this letter, one of the most amazing things is, is, is God says, ah, I've made you ordinary, but ordinary is going to be really special. I'm going to be able to fill you. I'm going to be able to encourage you. I'm going to be able to work in your life. So the people who see you will be so amazed, not because of your brains and your looks and your abilities, but because God is being honored. You see, experiences help us understand God's grace and develop grateful hearts. Every day as we walk with God, we get up amazed. Lord, I, I can't believe it. Are you kidding me? I get to talk to you, the creator of all, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. I get to go boldly into your presence. You listen to me. We talk. You empower me. You strengthen me. You guide me on right paths, always bringing honor to your name. God, I can't believe it. I get up. I get to do that. Thank you. I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. But that's our God. And our attitudes begin to change. It's not so much on what we can do for God. It's allowing God to work in us and through us. It's actually pretty exciting. God, or Paul chooses to boast about his weaknesses. The things that literally force him to depend upon God. He used a story uh, which we read about in Acts chapter 9, when he was lowered in a basket. If you go back into Acts chapter 9, you'll see that's where Paul gets converted. His whole life changes. And immediately the scriptures say that he just starts talking about God. He starts talking about Jesus. It is, he has a powerful message. And people are coming to faith. It's kind of exciting. 
But there were problems right away. There was persecution right away. And Paul had to humble himself and get lowered in a basket outside the city to run from its trouble. What Paul is saying here, if I can say it, is that Paul doesn't want to focus on the privileged, supernatural God revelation that he received. But on what naturally happens when people walk with God. He loved to be able to point to the transformed lives that people had and the fruit that they bore. He loved to talk about how the church at Corinth was changing because there was plenty of that in the church. Now Paul shifts gears and talks specific. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 7. In some ways a very hard text. But let's look at it. Verse 7. Even though I received such wonderful revelations from God, so, (laughs) at least this is one reason, to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times, Paul writes, I begged, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Each time. The Lord said, my grace is all you need, Paul. My power works best in weakness. So here's an attitude change. So now Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions, in the troubles that I suffer for Christ for when I'm weak, Then I am strong. God's ways shock us and foster so many different questions. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. Specifically, the scripture says, a messenger from Satan to torment Paul. So many have struggled with this statement over the years. And and as you think about it, I'm sure you're going to wrestle with it. Did God give the thorn? Or did he allow the thorn? Did God use Satan to bring about his will? Or did he allow the evil to happen and God turned it around? What Paul was saying is what looks evil, what looks wrong actually keeps me humble. It keeps me dependent on God. And it should be a little shocking. You see, God is not hamstrung by the enemy. In fact, he uses all of our life's experiences for his glory. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, Solomon writes this, The Lord has made everything for his own purposes, 
even the wicked for the day of disaster. God uses what the enemy meant for evil and turns it around. So many times and so many... experiences in my life, I've gone to Romans chapter 8. And I, I hear what Paul said, and I read his words, but he says, all things are going to work together for my good. God, I, I, I'm not seeing it at times. I, I don't understand this. How can a loss of job do that? How can a diagnosis of cancer do that? How can the breakup of my marriage do that? How come, and, and how, how come, how, 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 how come? How could it? How could everything, everything, God, how could do this? And literally, if you want to just follow this logic, was the thorn a specific battle in Paul's mind? In one way, yes, it was. Paul had already addressed using God's weapon for the battle in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we chatted through that. That was a few weeks back. But Paul basically says, hey, we don't fight our battles like everybody else fights. And then start talking about how the enemy attacks our thinking and our mind and how the enemy is relentless. Can you imagine the focus on the apostle Paul from the enemy? Now, now, folks, I don't know how much you're understanding spiritual warfare. But there's no doubt that the enemy is active, and there's no doubt that the enemy wants to distract and destroy and lie and do all these things. And I would assume, again, the more obedient you are in the kingdom, the more the enemy focuses on you. I'm pretty sure. Maybe... If you're kind of casual, if you're kind of comfortable, if you're really not very repentant about sin, my guess is maybe the enemy doesn't have to focus too much. But those who have a dynamic relationship, I, I'm pretty sure guns are pointed. So think about Paul. Paul, who wrote so much of our Newer Testament. Paul, who is planting church after church after church. Paul, who is teaching theology and understanding what the church is and helping us understand God. I don't know the pressure this guy had, but I'm pretty sure it was intense. And so this is not surprising to me, but if you look at this, I could imagine, straight from this context, it's probably best to understand Paul's thorn as a demonic messenger of Satan sent to torment him with the news that 
there were deceivers. There was bad leaders. The flock was failing. The flock was becoming disharmonious. There were disunity that was happening. And I think that news of these deceivers seducing the Corinthians into a rebellion against him haunted Paul. Maybe it was hard to sleep at night when he got the news. He was jealous for this church. He didn't want to see this church go down this direction. And again, let me remind you, it wasn't again about Paul. It was about the message, the life-transforming gospel, the thing that changed people's lives. They were perverting it. I'll say, no, no, no. I think the enemy was causing Paul to doubt. And literally, Paul had to go over and over again to God for truth, recognizing that God was going to take care of this church. Now, let me also say this, because it could also, this thorn, been physical. And so many scholars go there. There's so many good reasons, I think, but maybe there was, um, maybe it was his stuttering, or maybe it was an eye disease. Those are probably the, the two top things that Paul seemed to struggle with as we read some history. But remember, the enemy certainly does this, and God allows it. He certainly did a job on Job, remember? I mean, Job was absolutely miserable. And, and God says, okay, I'm going to let you do this, Satan. I, I'm going to let you do that. So maybe there was some kind of physical impairment. All right? And I think, really, for a speaker, <laughs> for a church planner, um, stuttering would, would not be a good thing to have. And having an eye disease which actually repulsed you, as you looked at the speaker, probably would not be advantageous, is what I'm thinking. So that could have been a thorn. But let me just say this. No matter what the thorn is, let's not stay there. (laughs) Let's not focus on a thorn and let's not argue about the thorn. It was there. Here's the deal. Paul begged God three times, would you take this away? I I wasn't in Paul's begging session, but I could imagine this. God, God, I'm a preacher. God, I'm a church planner. God, you're using me in mighty ways. God, God, God. I need life a little easier. God, could, could you take away the thorn? I mean, come on. You and I both know it would be way better. Now, maybe Paul didn't do that. And maybe I'm putting too much of me in there. But I do think that he begged because he thought it was the right thing to have it taken away. That's all. So no matter what it was, he felt unjust. He felt it wasn't productive. He, he felt all that. Okay? So here it is. Here it is. 
Paul begged, pleaded. And this was God's answer. Whoa. This is what God said. Uh, Paul, nothing's going to change. Well, maybe I'll pray harder. Maybe God's not listening. Maybe if I just pray more passionately and longer, (laughs) I'm sure you'll see my wisdom, God. But God's answer was clear. Nothing is going to change. My grace is enough for you. God literally may be putting sticks and stones in your bed. Now, let me explain. Tim Keller shares a story, a fable, that to me packs quite a wallop. He tells a story of a wicked, old, but powerful hag that lived in a forest. This hag would befriend weary wayfarers with a meal and, (laughs) this was the key thing, a bed. Oh, the most comfortable bed that you can imagine. But what the weary travelers didn't know, if they were sleeping when the sun arose, they would turn to stone and be moved to a garden with the other statues. They would be forever alive, but trapped in granite. Now the tale goes on and tells of a handsome young man that makes his way to the cottage. There's a servant girl there. Oh, she sees him and falls in love. Oh, oh, this, oh, he's wonderful. He's gorgeous. He's handsome. Oh, oh. And so what she does before he goes to the bed, she puts thorns and sticks and stones and thistles underneath the mattress. (laughs) You can imagine what happened. He goes there. Can't sleep all night long. He's kind of irritated, and he gets up well before dawn. Grumpy, and he leaves angry. Shuts the door, slams it, and kind of scowls at the servant girl. With tears in her eyes, she whispers, The misery you suffer now doesn't compare with the misery your comfort would have bought. Don't don't you see that they were thistles and thorns and sticks and stones of love? You know, we all have storms. We do. We all have hard times. And God uses all of them to accomplish his purposes in the kingdom to bring himself glory and to change you from the inside out. Now, it's interesting, and let me say this. Paul stopped asking after three times. 
Now that begs the question, when do we stop requesting and start embracing? There are so many times in my life that I keep praying over and over and over. And you know, I I think, how do we answer this? I think we answer it by saying, when the Spirit affirms it's God's will, we probably need to accept it. I don't know if you remember, again, even in moments before Jesus was brought to trial and then crucified, he was in a garden. And he poured out his heart to his father. He, he said, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? And he asked three times. But he ended their prayer saying, Not my will, Lord, but yours. Not my will, Father, but yours. He didn't keep asking. Paul didn't keep asking. I think sometimes, again, what's helpful is as you are in community, even with other godly people, men and women, those are discussions that you can have, perhaps even in your groups. Father, help me discern So Paul says this, the humble Paul boasts of his weaknesses and takes pleasure. Now now the word here is an odd word. I'm going to even just say, and is delighted, is delighted when insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles come when he is serving Jesus. Are you kidding me? I mean, just think of that. It's not, okay, I'll accept it. I know. He literally delights. Imagine even the things that are going on in his mind. All this pain, Paul says, because he's obedient, not stupid. Folks, I know what stupid is, okay? I do. And I know what pain the consequences of stupid is. But this wasn't stupid. This was, I'm going to listen to you, God. And I delight in this. So imagine the relentless attack in his mind from the enemy and to us when we hurt because of our obedience. Paul experienced hurt, so God's power could work. It could work in Paul, and it could work through Paul. In fact, what's so amazing to me, all of these things, insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles, wouldn't it be the normal thing for you to get you know, maybe go home and talk to your spouse or get in your small group or talk to someone and start complaining? Wouldn't that be the normal thing? Do you realize what God is putting me through today? Do you know how different it would be? With excitement, not, you know, kind of a, a weird way, but 
do you know I lost my job? <laughs> Whoa. God, what are you going to do? I, I, I don't understand how I'm going to make it. It's just not going to make sense to me. How different would a statement like that be? You know, having a pastor as a neighbor is different at times. Because as you start most conversations, hey, pastor, how are things going? Well, I want to share really how things are going. And sometimes things are not going so well. I'm just letting you know. But you know what's really cool? Especially as I have opportunities to, well, connect with those that are far from God. I get to be real. I get to be honest. I get to be able to share with them, you know, I'm hurting. I'm discouraged. Do you understand what's going on in our world? As we start talking, but I can add. But you know what? I am got a God. He's in control. I am going to trust him. I don't even know what this is going to look like right now. Folks, how excited are you about this November 3rd? Whoa. I mean, again, what's going to happen? How are we going to respond? How do we as Christians talk differently and depend on God differently. Paul says, for I am the strongest when I am the weakness, or weakest. Again, that's the whole theme of this book. We are strong when we're weak. So Paul says, I brag about my weaknesses because God's power is evident. And God gets all the credit. It's all about God. It's all about advancing God's kingdom, not my kingdom. Do you realize how much would change just in our lives if we actually believe this? In other words, Lord, I need you every day. I need you if I'm going to be a good, healthy spouse. I need you if I'm going to be a parent that will glorify you. I need you if I'm going to be a leader, if I'm going to be a pastor, if I'm going to be a neighbor that you want. Father, I need you. Uh, how would your prayers change? Maybe it would be, Father, teach me more of what you're teaching me. Help me learn. Instead of take away the pain, take away the discomfort, take a... I think there's times for that. But God, what are you teaching me? How are you going to use this in your kingdom? Uh, how is this going to work? And again, if there's no complaining, just gratitude, you will stick out like a sore thumb. Every one of us can complain about our bosses about our spouses. We can toss them under the, the bus. How different would it be as we chat? How would our thirst for eternity change? Actually, how would our faith change? God, you really are in control. 
that this is kind of a, a mystery to me. I don't know how you're going to work this out. But you know what? I'm going to trust you, God. I am going to trust you. You know what's really cool is when you trust God and you see his purposes unfold. You know what's really hard? When you trust God, you don't see his purposes unfold. Maybe the answer is you won't get until eternity. You see, I think a correct perspective of God forces a healthy dependence on God. That's why the enemy uses deceptions and lies and wants to pervert who God is in our minds. I actually think all of us need to develop this charge mentality. Quickly, let me just say this. There's really a big difference between a general and a private. The general, well, for the most part, has the perspective and hopefully the wisdom in order to lead the troops in the right way. Privates don't get a lot of that. Most of the time, generals don't make a phone call to the private and say, hey, by the way, you know, I, I want to make sure your feelings aren't hurt, okay? But we're going to go over and we're going to try to take this hill. And I know it's a little bit dangerous, and, and actually, but, but, you know, is it okay if we do this? I don't think it works like that. And generals are fallible. What I see is our God is not. He is so wonderful. He is so amazing. And we can trust him. So when he says charge or when hard times come or when the battle looks intense, we can trust our God. Let's pray. Father, this is hard to understand. We love focusing on our power and our strength and, and even what we can do for you. And Paul had a different perspective. Over and over and over again, he saw himself as a jar of clay so that anytime anything good happened, people would say, it can't be you, Paul. Or in my case, it can't be you, Rick. You're not smart enough, and, and you don't understand. So all of a sudden, God, you get glory. People know it's you. You're the builder. You're the carpenter. You're the one that we can trust. Lord, we, may we recognize how powerful each one of us can be when we let you work through us. Lord, this news is so life-giving to me. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and receive.